Welcome to the Sherlock's Weekly Highlights podcast with me, Georgie Corridge-Cole. This week, I'm joined by Carla Christie, Astrid Carter, and founder of Suitcase Magazine, Serena Gen. Welcome, Serena. Thank you. It's so fun to be here. It's great to have you. And there's so much we want to ask you about your career and starting Suitcase, but we will get onto that. We're going to start off with something a bit more lighthearted sure. than life as an entrepreneur. Um, and that's TV Guide, which you probably have no time for as <laughs> such a busy entrepreneur. Do you? Do you ever watch well, Surprisingly, TV? I do find time. You I do. think, well, the last series that I, I watched all in one go was Designated Survivor. I don't know if you've ever seen no, that. Um, but it's about this man that everyone in Congress is blown up, essentially. There's a huge terror attack in America. And every time Congress meets, they always designate one survivor from the Republican Party and one from the Democratic Party sit in a bunker. So if ever okay. something happens, they immediately become president, whichever party's in power. Is this with Keith Sutherland? Yes. Yes. I yeah, it's yeah. so good. So he basically is, he's fired on that day, but then he suddenly becomes president and all this crazy stuff's happening. And it's really bad, but it's really good because it's so bad. <laughs> Really good. I like yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, me too. So I'm slightly, I'm slightly had it with House of Cards. Oh, I me too. So maybe that needs to yeah. be my new political drama. Yeah. Well, the House of Cards also finished now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well yeah. I'm only halfway through the last series, but it's it's a bit slow, isn't the it? Last the last series. One. Yeah. My husband keeps going, "Come on, come on, yeah. let's finish it." And I'm like, mm, "No, I know, I definitely don't want to finish it." <laughs> what about you, Carla, Astrid? Are you into Peaky Blinders? Yes. Obviously. Are you? Yeah, I love I'm it. Not, I'm Have you ever watched it? No, I've never watched it, but apparently my boyfriend looks like the, one of the main characters. Really? Like, oh yeah. my God, he's like we... the most beautiful man alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we want to meet your boyfriend. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I do know what Cillian Murphy looks like. We can't talk about Cillian Murphy on a daily basis. A lot, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah. Okay, I'll keep my boyfriend away from you guys then. <laughs> Have you seen that amazing film about Prague at the beginning of the Second no, World War? I really wanted to see it. It came out this year, didn't it? Oh, Jamie yeah. Dornan and Cillian Murphy. It's yeah. incredible. It's incredible. Yeah. I could not rate it. It's called Something Very Hard to pronounce okay. it's somewhere in I know the one you mean I remember when it came up we put it in the yeah I'm sure I know it's, it's yeah, incredible like, I really really recommend that, it that's not the one with Harry Styles in it no, no that's no, not the one Cillian Murphy's in Dunkirk oh that's it yeah. no this is okay. anyway this is really it's all about the start this kind of trigger okay. and it's all about like the third Reich so Peaky Blinders mm -hmm. You're a fan? Yeah, it's just great. It's, is it? I mean, it's amazing. Everyone's obsessed with it. I've never I, watched I it. I would actually go as far as to say it's like the perfect TV program. Yeah, it's one of like, the best dramas I've From watched. the casting to the costumes, mm. the soundtrack's incredible. It's just so cool. Really? It's something about it being set in the past Do you that not, like, stops I, it appealing to I me. Really, I really love anything, like any yeah. period drama. Or and it's not yeah, that old. Victoria. Yeah. yeah. So so I haven't watched that. Um, so when does it start? Is it, at the moment, it's like 1925, around then. Yeah, so it starts a bit early. It started early. But it's not really period drama-ish, because I'm not really excited. Yeah, I'm just a bit over, I love all the current day stuff. You know, I love all the Netflix series. And yeah, I'm just, I mean, it's a bit like, how is end? I mean, I'm just finding that so dull. I mean, I know they're very different programs. This is really brutal. Like, it's it's grim, it's and there's violent. grit, and it's just, there's so much drama, and it's, it's so... Which um, does appeal to me. Now. Yeah, it's, no, it's, it's so cleverly done. There's so many twists in it as well. You never expect what's going to happen, yeah, which I, I think is really clever. I watched all, so I watched series one, two, three, kind of on a binge, and it is the kind of, show where you just want to watch the next Yeah, yeah you're left really yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Stay away from that then. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, kind it's kind of now or never, though, Serena. It's on series four, because otherwise I'm going to get into this sort of Game of Thrones I know, territory. Have you so, watched Game no, of Thrones? No, I haven't. Oh, no, it's too far gone. <laughs> the thing I've um, watched recently is The Visionaries. Um, have you seen any no, of No, but I, from reading this, I really want to watch it. So Kimbara Balfour, who was the editor of Daily Candy, which anyone my age might remember Daily Candy. I remember Daily Candy. Uh, and it didn't inspire Sherlock's, but I remember seeing all the things that it wasn't doing that I thought it should be doing. And it definitely, it was a daily email. It was a newsletter, but that was it. It was one newsletter a day. Yeah. It was an archive. I remember it. Wasn't yeah, it? I remember it. Was yeah. it bought by AOL? 
Daily Candy. It was bought, oh god, I can't remember. Someone like that. It so I remember also being integrated into my emails back in the day when we used it. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> but it was, yeah, it was one thing a day and it would talk about a new brand or a new beauty service or whatever it was. It was one thing and it was a London edition. And in the States, there was one for, you know, San Francisco, New York, kind of, you know, LA, da, 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 loads of different editions. Anyway, it was huge. It was sold for a huge, huge, huge amount of money. And anyway, Kimvara Bavel was the London editor for a time. Yeah. She then went to the US and I think worked on kind of global content. Anyway, she's a very smart lady and um, she has produced this mini series, all filmed on an iPhone, which is quite cool. Yeah. With, yeah, uh, and it's essentially her, well, it's not interviewing visionaries because she's not actually interviewing them, but they are talking. Mm-hmm. They're sort of, five minutes long, whatever they are, but um, she's interviewed Nick Jones, the founder of Soho House. Oh, actually, I have seen, I haven't watched anything yet. Yeah, um, Manolo Blahnik, um, apparently America Trancy's coming up, Charlotte Tilbury, so I love love anything. (laughs) Well, that'd be nice. Um, Anyway, I love anything like that. I watched the the first one with Fat Jewish, it's fascinating, because essentially he's built this brand from being a bit of an idiot, Yeah. Um, but he's very open about that, and very honest about it, but it's really nice to see him in a slightly more serious environment, and him kind of discussing how how he made it. And Does he still have another job or is he full-time fat Jewish? He's fat. Yeah, no, he's full-time. Full time. <laughs> His Instagram, it's just that makes my day whenever it's I so get funny. one of his posts. So, so amazing. <laughs> well, yeah, I think if you're interested in you know, like the stories behind brands, we talked about the How I Built It um, podcast last week, which is brilliant. Um, if, you, if you're into that kind of thing, and the stories behind entrepreneurs, um, then I think it's definitely one to check out. And hopefully she's going to keep evolving it. From podcast to digital detox, I seem to find it increasingly hard to put my phone down now that there is just more and more entertainment and media that I can access. I mean, I am completely obsessed with podcasts and they have changed my life. My husband got really cost me in the car. We were driving to Kent on Sunday and I was sitting on my phone. And I'm trying to be better with Instagram and I don't really look at the feed that much anymore now. I just look at stories. But every now and again, I always find it really inspiring and I get lots of ideas from looking at people's feeds. I often do it in the car and I'm like, please put your phone down. Let's have a conversation with you. I was like, okay, I'll put my phone down. Um, and I felt like a sort of naughty teenager. Um, but I'm trying to be better. Serena, what about you? I imagine you're on your phone quite a lot. Yeah, I'm on my phone quite a lot. I don't have a separate work and personal phone, so that's why I find quite difficult is I could be out with friends and then suddenly get a message saying like, oh, the website's down or like something really dramatic. I'm like, oh my God, and it just can ruin your night so easily. So now um, I try, if I'm out at dinner or something like that, just to try and keep my phone in my bag. It's really hard, but there's hardly anything dramatic enough that can't wait yeah, till the true. end of dinner. And then I sleep with my phone out of the room now Do as well. You? I don't I fly my really phone out of the room. Yeah, it, I mean, if it, if it buzzes in the night, it completely disrupts your sleep because exactly. then you can't get back to sleep afterwards. So do you have an actual alarm clock? No, I, I, I put my alarm on in another room, which is quite aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> out of bed. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I, I got out of bed this morning at 24 6 to go to the gym. And normally once I'm out of the bed, that's it, I'm there, it's no problem. Really? And I went into the bathroom and got back into bed. Yeah. I never, <laughs> I never do that. So Once I'm up. because it's cold. I, I did go to the gym, yeah, I went so to the dark. gym at 7.15, yeah. but my plan had been to go, and I, at 7.15 I was like, fuck, I should be done by now. I haven't even started. <laughs> oh, no. But, yeah, I, I mean, I never that weak. I was really weak this morning. But I think <laughs> yeah. I had the phone in the next door room then. Anyway, I think I do think it's a good way. If you're someone who snoozes the whole time as well. I do. I, think having I a, snooze for about 45 minutes. But what's the point? Because well, you could just Why sleep. Why can't I gradually wake up? That's almost I don't like being young. But you're not robbing yourself for 45 minutes yeah. to sleep. Yeah. We're seeing it more and more. So with suitcase that people wanting to go away to places which are really remote, which don't have signal 
or retreats that make you put your phone away. I went to mm. one in the Himalayas in March, actually with Jasmine Hemsley was there at the same time oh, as cool. me, called Vanna, and you're not allowed to use your phone in any public place there. So it means you have to leave it in your room all day. Oh, that's really and it's really nice. Yeah, you yeah. feel so free. Yeah. I went to Strictly on Saturday night mm -hmm. and you have to give your phone in no. for five hours. I, know. I went to something, well not something similar, it was an MTV show that they were recording live and um, they took our phones and put them in these little like black locked away pouches so you couldn't open them. No. So strange. I know, I have to say, like, how are you going to manage? <laughs> I said, here's the number of the, here's because I was taken by an agent of OT and Pasha to the dancers mm -hmm. and I left him, I left, I was like, here's the number. Here's her number if you need to get me because she's not going into the thing. And if any, and he's like, honey, people do actually step away from their phones. They do go into meetings, they go on flights, and they manage. I was like, I know, but if one of the children breaks their legs, I'd quite like to know. <laughs> anyway, the agent actually ended up coming into the studio in the end anyway, so I was completely out of touch. But it was so nice. Oh, my gosh. It was just, I, and I was really conscious that I didn't have my phone. Yeah. I did. We did leave just before Susan and Kevin, just as they finished <laughs> their dance. I was five hours, that's a lot of uh, stretching. It was longer than five hours. It was oh a my lot gosh. Because they, um, they pre-recorded a bit for the final show. Oh, okay. And then you watch the live oh, show. And then there's obviously a bit of delay because people vote. Yeah. And that bit is as quick as it is for anyone else at home. But once they get onto the results show, because it's not live, they stop and start at anything. So there's this bit where they walk down, I don't know if you saw it on Sunday, where they... Um, the professionals dance was down at Catwalk, it was amazing. And Tess and Claudia then came on to the results show down the runway. And something like people didn't cheer loud enough or something happened. And Tess turned around to the audience and she was like, for a show that's listened to by 12 and a half million people, you wouldn't believe how unrehearsed we are. So they're kind of like rehearsing as they go. But as a result, there's loads of stopping and starting. So you're, and actually by the time you get to the results show, you've been sitting there for nearly four hours. <laughs> that's, that's a long, long time. time. Yeah, it's a pretty long time. But anyway, it actually went really quickly and it was the coolest thing. Yeah. Um, I had the best time. <laughs> <laughs> I had the best time. Um, and strictly. No, I've never really Really? OG's coming to do a podcast. <laughs> anyway, strictly was great. I didn't have my phone and yeah, I'm trying to be better at it. Do you sleep well, Serena? I do now. When I was starting suitcase, I used to drink a lot of coffee. So I drink, I think, eight or more cups a day, which oh, is really, really, really bad. Bad. Sleep. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. So then I just it was so wired the whole time. Yeah. I would just sleep only maybe like three or four hours a night oh, wow. and when you're starting a business also you don't sleep that much in general so it, it worked in my favor but then it got to a point after two years where I suddenly I didn't fall over like Ariana Huffington and hit my head but <laughs> I felt really <laughs> tired and I was like okay I, and then I stopped drinking coffee and now if I'm really tired I'll drink a cup but not eight really? anymore. So you've gone from well that much coffee to not very much? No. Was it hard to wean yourself off of it? Not really start? because I, I think, think in the summer the sun, in the summer and things I don't need yeah. it as much so I just went yeah. drink, I started drinking less and less and also I was studying at the same time so studying and working and mm. studying you need more caffeine to focus yeah. than working which is like <laughs> I love. <laughs> and what's your approach to sleep now? I think I think it's really interesting because I feel like years ago it was sort of quite cool to say you were manic and you'd had no sleep and we're now in this sort of crisis really of sleep deprivation where we're actually doing real damage um, to our bodies I mean lack of sleep has been linked to everything from diabetes to depression to Alzheimer's to obesity God, I mean, you could go on to cancer even yeah. and I think it's really interesting that there are these people like Ariana yeah Huffington well she actually changed my life after she wrote that book because I was feeling that so it was a very macho culture being an entrepreneur and also just working hard yeah. that you were not expected to sleep and if you did it was weak and yeah it was like a badge of honor I yeah I yeah. had three hours last night and still went to yeah so I went to see I went to see her talk when she released the book here and then I was so excited I wanted to meet her and I wanted to give her a copy of suitcase 
And so I was like, oh, I ramped myself up to meet her. And I was like waiting with my signed copy <laughs> of Suitcase. And I got to her and I started saying, oh, Ariana, like, I love what you do. And like, this is what I do. But then she was like, she just stopped me. And she said, oh, no, I know who you are. She's like, you run Suitcase. And nice. I love Suitcase. And I've been wow. meaning to get in touch with you for a while to do something with us. And wow. immediately introduced me to her assistant. And I was like, can you make, make something happen? So, and she's, she was so nice. And if I ever need to, I can email her and just Amazing. ask her anything. Um, and, uh, and what's she like as a person? Uh, she's, she's very switched on. She obviously knows what she wants, but also is very kind. So she inspired you to sleep better? Yes. To sleep longer? What about you two? Are you good sleepers? <laughs> Yeah, sometimes, I mean, over the summer, I was, um, I was suffering with sleep deprivation and I just, I just got myself into a pattern and I, I was only kind of having four or five hours, which I didn't want to. But yeah, it was, it was really, had such an effect on me. Mm. So yeah, I, I think I need to have about seven hours a night. It does have such an effect when you don't have a, a good night's sleep. Yeah. Anyway, we talk about sleep on this podcast quite a lot, probably because I don't sleep all that well. Um, but I always think it's really interesting that um, part of the recruitment process, I think, for the SAS, or one of the tactics they use to torture prisoners, because it really is that brutal not to sleep. So I think it's, I think it's a really good thing that there's so much in the press and in the media now about how important it is. Mm. And I mean, I guess we've always known that. Yeah. There definitely was a time where you go, yeah, I only had three hours sleep last night, and aren't I a hero? I, I don't know about you. I mean, you said it took you two years to realise how tired you were. Yeah. But it's interesting that in this piece, it says the average Brit heads to bed just after 11 p.m and only gets about six and a half hours sleep a night, falling short of the recommended seven to nine that most adults need. I quite often get to Friday, and I'll have had under seven every night. You know, yeah. it's just been a yeah. busy week, or I've slept I really badly. Under seven, I think. And I'm getting, and I, I get to sort of, and then I might have had one really bad night, but I get to Friday, and it's just, I'm really broken. Yeah, <laughs> um, but do you find, I, I don't know, for me, in the evening as well, because, like, obviously we work a bit further away, so I don't get home till late, so I don't want to, that's my evening. I don't oh, want to go to bed really early because then I, all I've been, you know, I've just been at work and then I need to have some time for myself. And so you feel so I'll always push it later and later because you feel really awake if you've been on the tube yeah. or you've had your dinner at half eight or yeah, like that yeah. kind of thing. Like just not ready for bed. And we need to watch Peaky Blinders. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in this piece, there were a few like product recommendations if you can't sleep. And has anyone tried the Lush Sleepy Cream? So someone told me about this cream and apparently it just sends you to sleep in two really? seconds flat. So I got some, tried it, it's literally like stuff of witchcraft. Really? What? I what is asleep. it? It's, it must have like lavender and all these kind of like sleepy herb scents in it. You're meant to slather it over your body. It doesn't smell that offensive, don't worry. <laughs> um, and I was literally asleep in two really? seconds flat, like oh. two seconds flat. And then I must have slept for maybe two hours and then I was wide awake again. Hmm. So strange. Yeah. Yeah. I know that's the um, pillow spray is supposed to be quite good. I don't oh, I have that, that actually. Yeah. Oh, that's quite good. I spray oh, really? it on my. I always spray it on my pillow at night just because I like the smell. Yeah, yeah. yeah my husband lies next to me. Goes <laughs> every <laughs> single night, and I'm like, that doesn't get boring at all. And then I usually spray in his face just to just look really piss him off. <laughs> Anyway, so what time do you go to bed, Serena? Oh, it really depends. I think you have probably have the same. I have so many events after work that I'm often going to bed quite late. Mm. Oh, but if, so I'm, <laughs> if I don't have anything, I'll try and go to bed at, uh, around 11. And then you get up? And then I get up around 6.30 or 7. Okay. Yeah. So, you, you're so still I sleep quite a lot bad. now. So you've moved on from your three to four hours? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, that's good. That's good. What about sport? I mean, I find you said six, seven, seven. I find I have to exercise in the morning. Are you an exerciser? Yes, when, I when definitely prefer in? mornings because then you just it wakes you up, and it also doesn't mean it's like lingering and like lurking at the end of the day. That yeah, you have I to wait for it. That's just a horrendous feeling. Yeah. So I used. It was funny because last year I did a lot of weightlifting and cardio and things because that's what everyone says will make you lose weight but I actually bulked up I thought this is just completely the opposite of what I want to happen it's not the desired effect at all 
and then I switch to Pilates. I've only done 10 sessions now. Apparently, 10 sessions, you become much better. After 20 sessions, you can start to see the difference, and then after 30, you have a whole new body, apparently. Oh, is that right? So I'm just gunning for this 30 sessions. <laughs> so you're a third of the way through. Yeah. <laughs> and how many are you doing a week? Two times a week. Okay. Yeah, and then I try and walk as much as I can, because I need to be realistic. I'm not going to be in the gym every single day. And yeah, I think Pilates is amazing. Mm -hmm. I, love I, Pilates. I just feel, after I do a session of yoga or Pilates, I just feel so relaxed and so zen. And it's also like, you know, quite dynamic as well. So you do feel like you've had a good workout. Yeah. Yeah. Your body just feels like it's in the right place yeah. again. Yeah. yeah. The whole way you stand changes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not for me. I, I think it can <laughs> change your body, but but I'd probably really benefit from it. I probably am that person that really needs a bit of yoga in the night. <laughs> what do you tend to do? Oh, I'm like frantically, <laughs> yeah, frantically um, doing cardio and then, yeah, a bit of weights. But yeah, I quite want to be a bit muscly, a bit bulky. Mm -hmm. I kind of feel like I'm getting to that age where my arms are a bit flabby and I need, I need a bit more muscle. <laughs> <laughs> definition. I was really interested in the piece on Joe Wicks and his top 12 rules for staying lean. Do you know Joe Wicks, the body coach? Yes, I do, yeah. Um, and I mean, he's the man. Um, God, he is the man. He's everywhere, isn't he? Uh, yeah, I mean, he is on a mission to make Britain fitter and healthier. And it's just interesting, he champions lots of really short workouts. He's a big advocate of carbs. I like the fact that he's an advocate of carbs. I eat so many carbs, although I've really, in the last couple of years, I've really got over my kind of aversion to fat. I had a time when I was a bit like, <gasps> can't eat any fat in my diet. Well, that was a very like early 2000s yeah. thing where everything's fat free and diet this and diet mm. that. And I, I was that person yeah. who <laughs> ate low fat, low cal, ready meals. I mean, I really, really did. I went through a period of eating way too many of those and I know it's terrible and I haven't <laughs> eaten a ready for years. But I definitely, when I was younger, did. I was a real calorie into the fat mm. counter. And I've actually really gotten over that. And I, it's actually been a really good thing. I now mm. eat loads of peanut butter for breakfast. And interestingly, his top point was eat fat for breakfast. And I used to get so hungry. I used to eat a really fat-free breakfast. And within an hour and a half, I'd be ravenous. Yeah. Whereas now I can go all morning having had some fat. So yeah, no, that's no, really I try and eat eggs for breakfast every day. Or eggs or avocado or something like that. Because yeah, then it just so it makes you fill, yeah fills yeah. you up till that lunch and you just have so much more energy. Yeah, it's such a it's such a simple thing, but it's so true. I also love that he said forget cheat days. Mm. Instead, just eat out a couple of times a week. And Louise Parker always makes the point that just because you have one because you have a croissant or you eat something that's a bit naughty, it doesn't mean like the whole day has to be a write off. You yeah. just enjoy that moment. Yeah, and then kind of be normal again. Be normal again. Yeah, and I th I think that's so true, isn't it? Like yeah. go out and have a nice meal, but that doesn't mean you need to eat shit the whole the rest of the day. Mm. Which is kind of how I used to be when I was younger. You like fuck it, the diet's ruined. I'll start on Monday and eat, you know, four Twixes in a go. Yeah, or like classic hangover cheat day. Like you've just been out and drunk loads of alcohol, oh, and then the next that. day you just do it like all over again, but with food. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like you might as well just go and eat something healthy. And the other points that Joe Wicks made were ditch the scales, which I love. Yes, yeah. I so yeah. Scales for. I don't think Such a long time. Have you not? Have I you? quite like weighing myself, yeah. Do you? My I nanny had some in the bathroom. She shares, shares the bathroom with the children. And Coco pulled them out from under the unit. And she suddenly I was like, what are you doing, Coco? And she's like, I want to see how heavy I am. I was like, that's a complete waste of time. We're going to get rid of those right now. I was like, I never weigh myself. I was just like, oh my God, you're six. And she's never oh. seen me do that. And yeah, the only reason yeah. my nanny had them was to weigh her suitcase because she was worried oh, yeah. <laughs> she was going to have to pay extra allowance. <laughs> But I literally took them out and I was like, Rachel, can you put these in the back of your cover, please? I do not want Coco standing on scales. Oh, so that age six, yeah, that's yeah. a bad habit to get in. And, you know, it's not like she's ever seen any of us do it. It's yeah. just... So it can make your day so bad it can, if you just stand on the scales mm -hmm. in the morning and you're just heavier than you want to be. Yeah. 
Um, and the other thing he said was, and I went, oh no, when I read this, he said, nail the burpee. Because no, <laughs> he said I it's the one that. hit move oh. that people find tricky, but when it's done correctly, you'll have results in no time. It's no, the one right. that I, I know. I just feel like such a moron. I know. I mean, I don't have any coordination anyway, so me trying to do that is just a disaster. You feel so lanky when you do a burpee. Plus, I've had three children, so my pelvic floor is completely buggered. And yeah, I'm hopeless. And I like think I'm quite good in the gym, but I'm hopeless at a burpee. So I read this last night and I was like, damn it, I need to. Did you try and do one? No, I didn't I didn't this morning, but I might secretly practice at home. I think it's a home one. You need to work on my pelvic floor first. Burpee challenge in the office. Maybe in January. Anyway, love Joe Wicks. He talks so much sense. I thought it was a really good piece. Let's talk about the things we wish we knew before moving to London, because the bright lights of London certainly has its draw. But. Um, there's also rather a lot to contend with that perhaps mm. people don't think when they move. Um, are you from London, Serena? Yes, I grew up in London, so probably, Me too. <laughs> I probably wouldn't know what to look out for. Yeah, I think I'm probably one of those people that they say, watch out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're on a mission. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was fine when I go to Cornwall in the summer and I'm in Tesco's and I'm like, head down doing my shopping and, and they start chatting to you and I have to say to myself, no, you're not in London anymore. <laughs> can actually be friendly to people. Um, not that I'm not friendly, but I'm just on a mission yeah. to get somewhere. Um, Astrid, Carla, you're not from London. No, no. I mean, I've been, we've probably both lived here over 10 years. Mm, yeah. What do you think is so. the worst thing about London? I loved this piece. I mean, it had people aren't friendly, there are mice everywhere, the tubes are packed, <laughs> trains are always late. And I went. Yeah, I, um, <laughs> the wor- I love this piece, by the way. It's so funny. The worst for me is definitely the tube. Yeah, same Like I, I actually fell on a man on the tube the other day. <laughs> oh, no. What do you mean? <laughs> it was so packed, and I was, like, holding onto the bar. And you know when people um, lean on the doors? They oh, sometimes yeah. slam the brakes on? I literally swung <laughs> round this part. I mean, I gave the poor, basically gave the poor chap a lap dance and, like, fell on his lap. <laughs> that was so embarrassing. Bring me his day. So. Yeah, he probably loved it. But... Yeah, definitely the tube. It's just so packed. The tube and the mice. I literally, I had like nightmares about mice last year. The mice on the tube? No, we have we have mice um, in our building, which is so annoying. And every I've lived in my flat for five years. We have it every year, and oh my god, it's just a nightmare. And I was having this nightmare that they um, like were running at the back of my neck. So wake up! It was so vivid. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm not a rodent fan at all. At least it's not rats. No, no. no. The other points I liked were um, everywhere in London seems to take an hour (laughs) to travel to. And my other two favourites were black cab drivers are a wealth of information, followed by Uber drivers are not a wealth (laughs) of information. In fact, they hardly know their left and their right. But it's funny, like when I go home, because I'm from the New Forest, so I go running through through the countryside, everybody says hello to you. Nobody says hello to you. Yeah, well, it says here, the city moves at a thousand miles per hour. Yeah. So that's like, my point of going to Cornwall. Mm. Slow down and yeah. smile at people. Yeah. And, it, and you feel quite good for it too. Yeah. Well, I lived in New York and that's even worse. Yeah. I think You think people unfriendly here in New York is a whole other. Really? Like people actually insult you rather than just not saying anything. Okay. <laughs> I always find when I go to New York that people are really super friendly. Really? Yeah. Okay, I need to hang out where you've been <laughs> hanging out. I think in America there, they though. are. In the States they yeah, are. Yeah, the States in general New York's yeah. just a bit different. So yeah, yeah, Paris is worse. Yeah, yeah, Paris. <laughs> yeah, that's true. God, I lived in Paris. Horrendous. <laughs> we wrote a piece on eight countries that British expats should think about living in. Mm-hmm. And the inspiration came from this piece because I was chatting to somebody who lives in Kenya. Okay. And she knows someone that I know who also lives in Kenya. And I said, what's life like in Kenya as an expat? And she said, oh, my God, it's amazing. There's such a great group of us. And we have so much fun and we go on amazing trips. And I was like, God, I, I never would have thought 
that Kenya was a sort of de destination to go and be an expat in. Yeah. Well, I just thought it was an interesting conversation. I mean, I know you spent a lot of time in New York. Mm -hmm. um, I lived in Paris for a while, and I sort of part grew up in Hong Kong. So, yeah. I mean, they're all quite obvious places to go. But I, mean, I would love, love, love to have lived abroad. It's the kind of mm -hmm. thing, like, on, I mean, I said my, my father spent a long time in Asia, but I haven't done it as a sort of grown up. And it's the thing that I'm going to die wishing I'd done and probably will now never do because yeah. of my children and work, etc. But as I say, it's the thing I sort of slightly failed at is not having to take that box. What about you? I mean, you lived in New York. Yeah, my parents live in Hong Kong now, actually. They oh, moved really? there about four years ago and they love it. Well, they love it because it's, it's a city, but then nearby you've got a lot of nature, you've got beaches, you've got hikes in the hills. Um, so, and then also the nightlife is great. So, I mean, they're both, I, mean, I can't say their age on a podcast, but they're older and then they, it's like they're 20 again and they're going out and they're going on dates. It's really ageless. Yeah, it's, it's really, really ageless. Ages. I remember as a teenager going to parties and I would arrive in the school holidays and I remember arriving one Christmas and my stepmom saying, hmm, I've looked at the diary and we're actually doing something every night that you're here. And... <laughs> I mean, that's every night <laughs> for three weeks that I would be oh there for. And you'd go to a party, and I was 13 when I started, younger when I started going to, to stay with them in the holidays. And you'd go to a party, and I wouldn't be the youngest, and there'd be 18-year-olds, and I'd be fascinated sort of watching them. Mm -hmm. And right through to kind of my parents' age, and much older, but and everyone just got on, and it's it has something. Yeah, I think they have that. a different kind of look at outlook on life when you live in that kind of expat world where it is quite ageless. Yeah, and people are a bit more forgiving also in expat communities. You're not so picky about who your friends are and what their yeah, personality Yeah, new blood like. comes yeah. along and you're like, yep, yeah. okay, I need a new blood, we'll take you. Um, what about you, Astrid Carla? Have you ever, where would you live? I've never lived abroad, but would love to. I don't know. I feel like now, yeah, I've missed the boat. Yeah. I'd have to give up my job or take a year out or something, which is just not really easy right. to a do. Lot of Good, please don't go. <laughs> yeah. A lot of artists are moving to Cape Town at the moment mm. um, because it's the same time zone. And um, apparently supplies are really cheap and rent is really cheap. Yes, my so. friends lived in Cape Town. Yeah. They absolutely loved it out there. Um, I would. I love Barcelona. I just fell in love with Barcelona. Me I could too. absolutely live there or Paris. And a lot of my friends live in Australia. They love it out there. There's a massive group of them. And they, I mean, they've been out there for quite a while now, but they just seem so happy. It's yeah. such a different kind of way of life out there. Where do they live? In uh, most of them in Sydney. Okay. A couple of my friends live in Melbourne. Actually, they've just moved back to the UK I now. I think Melbourne is supposed yeah. to be a really cool place to live yeah. now. It's like, it's much more cultural, I think. Yeah, it's really well, creative. Yeah. Well. I think the lifestyle would be so nice, the weather much better. Yeah. And I think Although my friends less. who moved to Australia, all their friends are English. Really? Yeah, all actually, them. that's I mine are the same. I can't believe you have any Australian <laughs> friends. She's like, no, they're all English. Well, all it is, and a lot of my friends from schools, they, they're kind of like all out there together, which is really lovely. And they had to obviously have Aussie friends as well, but it's a big, yeah, like expat. When I lived in Paris, all my friends were English. Yeah. Didn't make any French friends. But I mean, it's, it, that's the thing. You do tend to be drawn towards... Yeah, I think it's nice in countries in which where you can um, integrate a little bit better with the local community. So my parents in Hong Kong also have a lot of friends here from Hong Kong who are Chinese, but a lot of their friends only know English people, and you don't really get a sense of the place that you're living in, I don't I think. Know. I think it's so nice. Yeah. I would love to have lived in... My husband and I really wanted to go to Singapore. That was kind of really? that was our plan. I remember when we got the Olympics, we won the bid for the Olympics. I remember we were driving down the M4, and we were a bit kind of bar humbug about it. Like, a lot of people were when we won it. I mean, obviously, it was an amazing thing for London, but at the time, everyone, a lot of people... Oh God, it'd be a bit of a pain yeah. um, and a waste of money. And we like, well, we won't be here. We'll be in Singapore. And then, yeah, never happened. But I'd have loved to live in the States. Mm. I mean, New York, obviously yeah, New York, amazing, yeah, amazing. But I love Americans, and I love their kind of 
positive outlook on life. And I'm always, yeah, I'm really drawn to Americans. I think I'd have loved to have done that. Or like California but, or somewhere like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I could definitely live in Brooklyn. Absolutely live in Brooklyn. Or San Francisco is supposed to be yeah. so You need to set up your second Sheerlux office somewhere. <laughs> I know, I know. I toyed with it and then I Yeah, or there are some, you know, like Charleston places. I think there are, and Texas, Austin's Dallas is meant mm. to be amazing. Austin's, Austin's meant to be really good. Yeah, yeah, I'd really like to go to Austin. Yeah. And Chicago I've not been to, and that looks really cool. Cold. We actually, at one point, we talked about Chicago, but I don't know if I could have coped. I think you walk yeah. out of your house and your eyelashes are frozen. <laughs> it's that cold. Yeah. If you're going to leave the UK, you probably yeah, just yeah. go somewhere a bit warmer. Yeah. And yeah. um, Vancouver's really lovely as well, actually. Um, I really liked it there. Yes, God, I think life in Canada, if yeah. you can get the yeah. visa, is. Yeah. I mean, well, they're under, If you're under 30, you can get a really. It's really easy f- to get a visa for two years in any right? Commonwealth country, yeah. Mm-hmm. And apparently, you can make so much money from just doing a summer or high oh, season right. worth of waitering or something like that. Well, the tipping culture tipping, is so bonkers yeah. in yeah. ski See, resorts. Like you, can make you can make tens of thousands, really? 60 grand yeah. just for the season. Let's talk about ways to give back this Christmas because as much as we all love the festive fun, well, most of us love the festive fun um, of Christmas, um, for vulnerable people and homeless people, it's a horrible time, especially when it's freezing cold. Um, and there's actually lots that you can do to help and things you can get involved in. It seems to me there's a lot around coats. Yeah, I didn't realise that. <laughs> don't know, don't, you can donate your yeah. old coat to wrap up London, which I think is a great yeah, idea. Yeah, I know. I feel so sad when I see homeless people on the yeah. streets in the wintertime. Oh, so cold. I know. It's really sad. And you can also swap your old coat at J. Crew, which I think is really cool. Mm. So you can take an old coat into the store and they'll give you £25 off um, any purchase. I think it's of over a hundred and something pounds. Mm-hmm. But I think that's a really... And what do they do with those coats? They I think they, they, they donate, donate those coats to homeless people. Um, I thought that was a really simple thing. Really nice. How many of us have got coats sitting in our cupboards? Yeah, I'm going to do that actually. Yeah, that we don't <laughs> need anymore. Yeah. There's also a really great pop-up um, store in Soho where all the products in the store um, are products yes. that will you can buy them, but they will be directly given to refugees. Mm-hmm. So you can buy like, life jackets or tents, sleeping bags, that kind of thing. Is to help oh, refugees really pop up. Yeah. yeah, I'm doing actually. A, I did started a campaign called Cook for Syria. Have oh, you yeah. seen that? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we are suggesting that people buy the cookbook also at Christmas because all the profits go to help all the children in Syria and the region because it's so cold now mm-hmm. that really they just need as much support as they can get. Yeah. So and we're doing um, maybe some more events as well. So. So the co- you you created the cookbook. Mm-hmm. Um, so I created the cookbook with a food Instagrammer called Clark and One Boy. Okay. Um, so we did a big campaign, um, which started last year. It's spread around the world now. It's huge now. And, it's amazing. Um, it's yeah. come back to the UK as well. Um, so we've got Cook for Syria and Bake for Syria. And it's all about creating Syrian food or uh, any cuisine with a Syrian twist. Um, that can be a restaurant putting a dish on their menu. It could be holding a big dinner in a, in a restaurant. It could be a pop-up. It could be just hosting a supper club at home and getting your friends to donate. And then all the money goes to UNICEF. And we've raised over, well, we've raised almost half a million pounds now. Amazing. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, which is That's great. incredible. Syrian food is what? So Syrian food is actually very similar to Lebanese, Lebanese food. Lebanese, I thought you were going to say that. Yeah, and actually a lot of Lebanese restaurants in London are actually Syrian restaurants, but they oh, don't really? think that people would like the cuisine, so they call themselves Lebanese oh, restaurants. Oh, interesting. Um, so that whole region is Israel, Lebanon. Yeah, it's so quite Lebanon. kind of Otolenghi. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's my favourite kind of cuisine. So mm-hmm. it's just so flavoursome. Exactly. It's actually so quite healthy. Really healthy. Yeah. So hummus, yeah. a lot of chickpeas, pistachios. Oh, delicious. Yeah, yeah all yeah. my favourite things. Mm. <laughs> Other things are reserving a place at Crisis for £26 
Andy, can we reserve a place for a homeless person at crisis this Christmas? We need to do that as a business. My friend, um, um, she's um, volunteering with crisis and serving out Christmas dinners on Christmas Day. That's so nice. Know, it's really lovely. Really she's done it for, she's done it a couple of years, but um, I don't think she did it last year because she was away, but she's doing it this year. Yeah. My, cousin, my cousin did that. He lives in New York and one year he couldn't come back because of his visa. So it was really sad. He was in New York on his own. So he went to the soup kitchen and helped mm. out and he said it was so rewarding. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, that's a really good thing to do. And then simple things like Christmas Jumper Day. So when we do Christmas Jumper Day, we need to add a charity and to it. We that's such a good idea for me to do that too. Yeah. So you wear a Christmas jumper and then you have to donate mm -hmm. some money for charity. Mm -hmm. And the other thing was to give blood. I know, I'd love to do that. but so I'm According really to the crazy. NHS, blood is the best yeah. gift you can give this Christmas. It's always a challenge for hospitals to collect enough blood over the festive period, so now's a good time to donate. That's a good idea. Mm. Even if you're O negative, apparently. Really? Yeah. So, Serena, I'm dying to ask you for some travel tips. Tell us where the last place was you went and where you're going to next. Um, so, the last few places I went to weren't that exciting. Actually, Marrakesh was great. Um, so, I went there for a travel conference, but I made sure that I had time to go explore a little bit. Did and you see any snakes in baskets? <laughs> no, I avoided that at all costs. <laughs> I've got a favour of snakes. Really? I know I would love Marrakesh. Um, I had a snake around my, around my neck in Marrakesh. <gasps> Stop it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just just don't, don't, go, That's don't go into the Medina and you're yeah. fine. I love the Medina though. Yeah, the Medina's yeah. the best bit. It's beautiful. I'm so desperate to go, but I can't. I can't. They don't follow you around. Yeah. Someone <laughs> I know was chased by a snake in a market oh by some God. guy thinking it was funny. <laughs> that to me is so. <laughs> That's worse than sleep deprivation. I mean, that is. Oh, okay, well, yeah. the other last place I went was Puglia, which maybe is more up your street. Ooh. Have you been there before? No, I haven't. I I went, yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah, it was so hyped this year. Did you go this year? I went in September, yeah. Yeah, everyone yeah. was going yeah. this year, so yeah. I thought I've got to go and check this out. So I thought, I really thought it was beautiful. I think I personally preferred Tuscany. I haven't been to Tuscany, okay. but yeah. Because I think the landscape's prettier, but Puglia has amazing food and then also great hotels. So I stayed in Masseria San Domenico, which is one of the most beautiful hotels I've ever been to. Um, but you can rent these like you can rent truly, which are the traditional houses, or just these beautiful, lots of beautiful design houses in the area. And where do you find the good houses? So you can probably find them. Maybe have a look on off-grid hideaways, and um, but even somewhere like Airbnb as okay. well. Yeah, I guess Airbnb. Yeah, you wouldn't think of that, but. Um, so Puglia, okay, and where are you going to next? Where's on your list? So I'm going on a surprise trip next weekend. Oh, well, I don't know where I'm going, which it makes me really nervous. Well, I wouldn't want to have editor. the surprise to found at a suitcase <laughs> magazine. So I'll let you know where I'm I going. I presume that's your boyfriend. Yes. He must be quite confident. Yes. <laughs> How long you, just for the weekend? Just for the weekend. So it can't be too far. Oh, I want to Oh, really? Yeah. 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 I'm fascinated. I know. Have I you had it? Let's see, told you, like, you have to pack this. I know it's not very far. I know it's within the UK. So it's a UK break. Maybe it'll be the Yeah, I hope it's the be really. He'll be really sad if he listens to if you had to only go to one hotel for the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh, that's so difficult. Okay, I love the Oberoi in Jaipur. That's okay. one of my favourite hotels, actually. I love Jaipur so much. It's such an interesting mix of old and new culture, and all the buildings are incredible, all the food is great, people so nice. And then the Oberoi is just beautiful hotel is it? yeah because it, it's traditional it? and it has a traditional food but it's actually modern and not falling mm. down <laughs> yeah where would yours be Carla and Astrid um, mine would be the six senses in Yanoi 
<gasps> it's just the most beautiful place I've ever stayed. It, <laughs> it was I just lovely. That. Really? Oh, I love yeah. it. The I Stephanie is incredible. Yeah, thing. I think the, the Jussing Rock's coming out. Yeah. I think that's on one of the James Bond James films. James Bond films. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just such incredible. an eerie setting. And yeah, yeah it's just like dreamlike. Absolutely. You are in the jungle. So going back to snakes, <laughs> you, you're, in the, you're in the jungle and you're in these sort of hideaways, aren't you? And it's sort of a bit similar to safari in that you're very exposed to the elements. So you can walk from uh, your yeah. villa or whatever you call it to the sort of main restaurants. Yeah. Or you can get a buggy. Yeah, and I, I, I would call them and get a buggy. And they did say to at one point, they're like, "Yes, madam, you d you do know it's just a few minutes walk, don't you?" And I was like, "Yeah, I know, but I'm terrified of snakes. So please, could you come get me? Because you're literally walking through the jungle. So everywhere I went, they had to come pick me up in their buggy. Um, oh but it is the most stunning, yeah, stunning. Yeah, it sounds amazing. Yeah. yeah. Astrid, what was yours be? Um, earlier this year, I went to Vietnam, and it just totally blew me away. Like, I think everyone's so familiar with the Vietnamese like scenery from films and stuff like that, but. There's just so much more to it. Mm. The food was incredible. People were lovely. I think mine would be Ziggy Bay in Iran. Have been there? No. That does it's look incredible. incredible. Yeah. Like just another planet kind of. It's just the most landscape. Peaceful, peaceful place mm. ever. You drive for about an hour through the desert and it's just rock. And I can't quite explain. And it's sort of quite rustic, but in such a luxurious way. I don't know. It's just, yeah, it's amazing. If you're going to say to people, there's one trip you have to do in night. Oh, wow, that's, a, that's a tricky one. Or three. I think everyone should do something that pushes their limits a little bit once in their life. So I went to the North Pole. So it's not for everyone, because that's quite wow. extreme. And what does that entail, other than being bloody freezing? Hey, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you're just, you're so isolated that there's nothing to do and you can't tell which direction anything's in. So you fly to Svalbard, which is a tiny island um, off the coast of Norway, and it's only got one high street. And mm. only people who are there are really people that are going to the North Pole. So you, when you go to the bars and things in the evenings, it's just all full of explorers who are telling their stories. Oh, and it's amazing. really yeah, cool. So, cool. so you can actually just go to Svalbard and to go like skiing and mm. hiking and all these activities. And then when the weather's okay, because it needs to be perfect conditions to, to take a little plane over to North Pole, um, well, to the region. So then you take a plane over and then you're just like on the ice basically. Mm. And there's a little camp that's run by Russian military who don't really speak English and they're quite tough. <laughs> and um, you stay there and then depend even depending on what kind of trip you do. So we were only there for a couple of days and it was so cold. I think it was minus 50 or something oh like goodness. that. It was just unbelievable. And then- God, there's me watching match coffee. <laughs> <laughs> And then we, we walked a bit and then we took a helicopter for the last bit to near the, the North Pole. And then you, we were lucky because sometimes the North Pole's in the middle of water because you know, it moves um, because it's all ice cap. And then we stuck a flag down and then the tradition is you drink whatever, an alcohol that's the same percentage alcohol as the temperature outside. So that was whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> Someone was drinking whiskey. Um, and yeah, it was, it was just such an amazing experience. Actually, people drink a lot when they're doing the North Pole treks because it's so cold yeah, and yeah. that's not something I expected at all. I thought it was going to be all detox. And <laughs> so you go there, yeah. you go there to trek. You go there to trek and then, I don't know how to describe it, you're just alone. When you're trekking, I guess you're so alone with your thoughts and you're also just so focused on the people that you're with. So it was just me and my dad and my brother and then another couple of people, one guy who's an explorer and then a Russian group of people as well. And they don't speak any English, but then you end up having to communicate with them. And by the end of it, we were drinking together and we were singing like Russian drinking songs. <laughs> and it was so fun. Oh, it was really fun. Yeah, it's like being stranded on a desert island, except it's a lot colder. <laughs> and do you have to do quite, do you have to be quite tough in that situation? I mean, is it very basic? It is very basic, yeah. Like there's, there's like a portaloo outside, which is just, I can't even tell you how horrendous <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah, so it's not for everyone, but doing something like... So it's not a tourist a destination. No, it's not a tourist so. destination, but I think... 
it is quite, I think the me most memorable trips that people do are often the ones that aren't sitting on the beach in the Maldives necessarily, but are something that's a little bit more out there. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Wow, amazing. Um, and what about London haunts? <laughs> I'm sure um, you're the person to ask when it comes to London too. Yeah, what so, are your so um, my favorite restaurant is Luca. Do you know it in Clerkenwell? Yeah. yeah. So uh, Luca's the sister restaurant of the Clove Club. I think the food's just so good there, and I loved the, the design. And the, the staff are so friendly, so they just recognize you if you come back. And I, I really, really like that. And then in terms of drinking, um, I like, I can never say it, Compagnie de Vin sur Naturel, um, which is in Neil's Yard. So it's one of the experimental cocktail group places. Oh. But it's not, it looks like a little wine bar. It has incredible wine, and you can order like ham and cheese and like charcuterie. Um, whilst you're drinking, in the summertime, they open up the doors and they have all the tables outside in Neil's yard. Oh, it sounds Which is fun. so oh, nice. Yeah. Um, well, anything that experimental touches, yeah. they just get it so right, don't yeah, they? Yeah, so good. And then um, I love Bar Termini in Soho oh, as well. It's so yeah. cute. It's, it, looks, it feels like you're in Turin or in Milan. All of his bars are incredible. Have you been to Untitled as well? No, I haven't. Oh, Untitled's really cool. really cool. That's okay. more of a like... I need to go. You feel like you're in like 80s New York. Mm, yeah. Uh, Where is it? It's in Dalston. Kings and Road. Road. It's and they have sort of Japanese, um, really small plates, but quite um, sort of experimental as well. Mm -hmm. but they're really nice. Yeah. Oh, definitely a few good ones to check out. And finally, what are your next must-visit travel destinations? Uh, so I really think well, Sri Lanka's huge. For, it was huge this year. And it's going to be huge again next year. That, the company that I mentioned before, Off Grid Hideaways. Uh, they're started by two women who are awesome. Uh, they're based in Switzerland, and they. It's like an Airbnb that you rent houses, but they're all they all have a design slant, and they're all quite remote. And they have two in Sri Lanka, which are really good price. Um, and you can book a chef and things if you want, but you can also have it quite basic as well. Um, I'd love to go to Sri Lanka, and then I'd love to go anywhere in the south in America. I'm going to New Orleans in January, which I'm so excited oh, about. It's great, I've been there. It's yeah. really fun. Let's talk about suitcase. Sure, Serena. You are. I, I wouldn't normally mention age. But it's pretty relevant, I think. <laughs> okay. You are now 20... 27. 27. You started Suitcase... When I was 22. When you were 22, whilst you were at university. Yes. Hence, hence the point. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, how incredible. How did you start it? Where, where were you at university? So I went to New York University and I had to live... I lived in Paris and New York as part of my degree. And when I was living in Paris, I obviously wanted to go explore a bit, go out with my friends and things. And so I had to use um, all the typical media outlets like Condé Nast Traveller, Lonely Plan and things to, to navigate my way around the city and I just found that I was having such a superficial experience or it was just really expensive and unrealistic so I obviously wouldn't be going to Michelin star restaurant every night. So I started to make my own guide so anyone that was vaguely cool that I met I'd say oh my god what are your favourite restaurants and I'd like write them all down or what are your favourite places to go for a drink and so I collated this guide out of all these people I met in Paris uh, which ended up being circulated amongst all my friends. So I decided to do the same for New York, for London, for um, a few other places as well. And these were they on were the just website, word, they were they? Just, No, Word documents. Right. Word documents. <laughs> like one line about each place. And they're quite funny. <laughs> and then because they were being shared so much, I thought there must be a market for this as all the travel magazines that exist are obviously great. But yeah, all, the, all the travel magazines that exist are obviously great for a certain market, but there's a whole new horde of travelers that want to have a more genuine experience and also want to be able to trust the magazine as well because I think a lot of media outlets were just taking press releases and just writing whatever mm -hmm. they saw in there. So it decided to start it as a print magazine to make a statement about research and curation and also to be a little bit controversial because everything was digital 
and everyone said that I would fail if I did it as a print magazine. And had you dreamt to print? Had you dreamt to publishing? Yeah, I'd always, I, I loved reading and I loved books and I, I thought maybe I would go into publishing at some point, but definitely not at that age. And it, it happened so quickly that I didn't even have time to think about it or think about it from necessarily, I didn't write a business plan or anything like that. <laughs> have you since? Um, yes, I have. I have, kind of. <laughs> no, I have now. Um, and then, it, so I came up with the idea and then launched it within, in about eight months. And that was just like a lot of hardcore research online, emailing everyone that I knew and then asking if they knew anyone in the industry because I didn't know anyone in the industry. And I had interned with one lady who helped recommend a printer. And then I also cold emailed Anna Harvey, who's the VP oh, yeah. of Condé Nast at the time. And she wrote back with some really helpful advice about um, who to distribute with and um, how to contact advertisers. And then also so I could use her as a reference. So that was just obviously the best thing ever. <laughs> so you launched your first edition of Suitcase in June, June 2012. 2012. Mm-hmm. And how did you fund it? Because I think for print, you know, that's the beauty of digital, isn't it? You know, there's such a low barrier to entry. How did you fund a print publication? So I raised a small friends and family around to print um, the first few editions and then also to do a blowout. Uh, launch party at Shoreditch House because I knew that as well. The journalists hung out and I just wanted to get them really drunk and get them <laughs> out of the suitcase and it really worked because I had so many articles the next day. <laughs> uh, and then, I th- I, but then I would say now for people, anyone who wanted to start a magazine, I would say to do it slightly differently. So we, what we did do, to be fair, was we had started a Facebook page before Instagram didn't exist yet, which is crazy to think mm-hmm. about. And um, we did a little bit of Facebook advertising. I think we spent like, I don't know, 100 pounds or something and managed to gain momentum. So we had 15,000 likes when we launched. So that meant that we had a market to launch to. So when the magazines were in the shops, we could say, hey, it's here, uh, go and get it. But now I'd say if someone wants to start a print magazine, it'd be best to do that than maybe a website or a newsletter. And then when you've got a really good critical mass to do it via subscription, because you just make so much more, or or direct to consumer from online rather than newsstand, even though newsstand's great visibility in a way. How did you get on the newsstand and where? So we, we have a distributor uh, called Pineapple Me- Media, weirdly. <laughs> and um, they we just said um, that this is our title and then they have so much experience with publishing that they recommend which regions to be in. So we gave them a profile of our reader. He's a modern female, probably living in an urban area, needs to speak English. Um, and then they just helped us target regions. Did you sell copies of the first issue? Yes, definitely. Um, so I can't remember what the numbers are now. We printed about 5,000 on offer for our first print run, which seemed a lot at the time especially since um, they all came to my house as well at first. <laughs> <laughs> my poor mum. It was like just boxes up to the ceiling in the, in the living room. Everyone packing them. Yeah. yeah. And tell us a little bit about the growth from packing them at so, home to so, today. Um, so obviously we first started as a print magazine. I think doing a launch party or doing some kind of launch activation was really helpful because then it creates a lot of buzz and then a lot of people that I wanted to get involved just organically contacted us. So we had a designer from ID Magazine um, who came on board and helped sort out all the graphics for us because the design wasn't ideal at the time. And then a lot of other people like that. I just focused on making the product better and better. We did a few other guerrilla marketing things. Like I did a pop-up shop within about four months of launching in Covent Garden. And again, that got press and also helped with revenue because at the beginning with a magazine, it is hard to get advertising until you have a certain number in terms of circulation. Um, so we just did quite a few awareness building things and then eventually more and more people uh, were just drawn to it that we wanted to get involved. And after about a year and a half, two years, we really started building the digital platform 
So at first it really did look like a blog and we've been on WordPress till now and now we're considering moving off WordPress onto something quite snazzy. We, we think we can do quite a lot with travel websites. I think a lot of travel websites are quite basic in terms uh -huh. of what people can do on them and we really want to help people plan their trips. So I think we can make it quite exciting. Well, without pointing out the obvious, it, it's obviously a very challenging time for print publications. Why do you think you've been successful? I think before we launched, I thought about my competitors a lot and which ones were doing well and which ones were doing badly. And I knew that this kind of media, so book sales, for example, have gone through the roof these past few years, uh, but very timely magazines. So places where you can, magazines where you can get information quicker online, those are going out of fashion. So I, t I took off all the headlines from the cover, for example, to make it look a lot cleaner and something that you can keep for ages and the content inside also, we try and make it so that it doesn't date. Um, so you could pick it up again in a couple of years and not think, oh, that hotel. So it's a bit evergreen. Yeah, yeah, exactly, so it's evergreen. Um, and, then, and then I guess we care so much. And I think, I hope that comes across and makes readers trust us a lot. Whereas, and we try not to sell out too much. So if we're doing advertising, make it really obvious that it is an advertising piece and only work with partners that make sense. Yeah. Because you can just see so easily if something's just not right. Yeah. Bloomberg described you as the Mark Zuckerberg of publishing. Um, and you're the world's youngest magazine proprietor. Is that, are well, you Well, probably still? not anymore. Maybe youngest, one of the youngest media owners. We have a media agency too now. Um, but I'm, I'm sure there are 18 year olds who are starting magazines now too. Maybe. So. Well, it sounds pretty impressive. Yeah. <laughs> what are your golden rules for success? Why do you think you as an individual have been successful? What's important? Okay, well, I'm definitely not completely successful yet, but hopefully on the path too. So I think staying focused is really important. And you keep reminding yourself of your goals. So I want to build the best travel magazine. So every day I think about that and I think about what can I do to get myself there. We're currently number sixth best-selling travel magazine in the UK. So wow, we're just amazing. really close um, to that number one slot. So I, by next year I want to be in top five, which I think is achievable, and then can just keep going from there. Same online. And then um, prioritize. So I think uh, with work, obviously, being an entrepreneur, work can be all-consuming, but to make sure that you also remember what else is important in your life. So for example, family, yourself. <laughs> uh, there was a period of time last year where I just kept getting ill because I was just working way too hard. And then it wasn't helpful to anyone when I would have a kidney infection and be in hospital for a month because that was just so Wow, is bad. that what happened? Mm -hmm. And it happened twice in the period of six months. And then I knew that I needed to change something because I couldn't just leave my team and also I wasn't able to hang out with my friends or family and so I just took everything down a notch and just remember that work is important but then also to take myself out of work and to do other things and make sure that I sleep and eat well and do all the rest for that and then to be flexible is the last point so it's good to have a plan but you always need to be able to bounce back because things are going to go wrong all the time and there's never going to be a perfect day yeah. and some days you'll be able to handle it a lot better than others but you need to be resilient. Yeah, you do. And finally, what would you say to anyone considering starting their own business? Um, I'd say do a lot of research first to make sure that actually there's a market for it because a lot of people are really scared when they're starting something about telling anyone about it uh, because they think someone's going to steal their idea. It takes quite a lot for someone to actually go and do what you want to do. So talk about it with your friends, check online because I mean, I'm surprised at the number of people that come to me and say, oh, we're going to start this thing. I'm like, that kind of exists already. <laughs> I don't know if that's going to do so well. And then also to be honest with yourself, what do you need to build the business? Can you really afford to leave your job right now to start it? Can you maybe try it out whilst you're working? 
And then also if you have tried it and it's not working out to know when it's time to stop because there's nothing wrong with, with that and stopping and starting again and trying something else. Serena, thank you so much for coming and joining us this morning. You're truly an inspiration and um, we've loved having you. Thank you, it was so fun. That's it for this week. If you have any feedback, then do email podcast at sharelux.com. And if you enjoyed that, then do please rate, review and subscribe on iTunes. See you next week.